grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Welcome to a sermon podcast from Salem Lutheran Church. For more information, please stay tuned at the end of the sermon. shines forth as the true son of God. Yes, he was fully human, but he shines forth. And and usually during the epiphany season, we hear the emphasis of miracles because the miracles prove that Jesus is the son of God over and over again. Uh, This Sunday, we're going to hear uh, in our text the beautiful words of John the Baptist actually pointing to Jesus, who is the son of God. But he doesn't necessarily call him that. Instead, he calls him by a very beautiful name, the Lamb of God. And only the Son of God can be the Lamb of God. Our first lesson for this second Sunday after Epiphany is found recorded in the book of Isaiah, chapter 49, beginning at verse 1. Listen to me, you coastlands. Pay attention, you faraway peoples. The Lord called me from the womb. When I was inside my mother, he mentioned my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. He hid me in the shadow of his hand. He made me a polished arrow. He concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant Israel, in whom I will display my glory. But I said to myself, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength and came up empty with nothing. Yet a just verdict for me rests with the Lord, and my reward is with my God. But now the Lord who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to turn Jacob back to him, so that Israel might be gathered to him, so that I will be honored in the eyes of the Lord, because my God has been my strength. The Lord said, it is too small a thing that you should just be a servant to raise up only the tribes of Jacob, and to restore the ones I have preserved in Israel. So I will appoint you to be a light for the nations, so that my salvation will be known to the end of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Our second lesson is found recorded in St. Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 2, beginning at the 6th verse. Therefore, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in him. By being rooted and built up in him and strengthened in the faith, just as you were taught, while you overflow in faith with thanksgiving, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit, which are in accord with human tradition, namely the basic principles of the world but not in accord with Christ. For all the fullness of God's being dwells bodily in Christ, and you have been brought to fullness in him. Christ is the head over every ruler and authority. You were also circumcised in him, and with a circumcision not done by human hands in the putting off of the body of flesh, in the circumcision of Christ. When you were buried with Christ in baptism, and in baptism you were also raised with him through the faith worked by God who raised Christ from the dead. 
even when you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ by forgiving us all our trespasses. God erased the record of our death brought against us by his legal demands. This record stood against us, but he took it away by nailing it to the cross. After disarming the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them by triumphing over them in Christ. The word of the Lord. Our gospel is taken from the gospel of John chapter 1 beginning at the 29th verse. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I was talking about when I said, The one coming after me outranks me because he existed before me. I myself did not know who he was, but I came baptizing with water so that he would be revealed to Israel. John also testified, I saw the Spirit descend like a dove from heaven and remain on him. I myself did not recognize him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, The one on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, he is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I saw this myself and have testified that this is the Son of God. The next day, John was standing there again with two of his disciples. When John saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned around and saw them following him, he asked, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He told them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. It was about the tenth hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his own brother Simon and say to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. The Gospel of the Lord. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. And from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for consideration is found recorded. It is the Gospel of John, chapter 1, beginning at the 29th verse. I share with you these beautiful words once more. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I was talking about when I said, the one coming after me outranks me because he existed before me. I myself did not know who he was, but I came baptizing with water so that he would be revealed to Israel. John also testified, I saw the Spirit descend on like a dove from heaven and remain on him. I myself did not recognize him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, he is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I saw this myself and have testified that this is the Son of God. The next day, John was standing there again with two of his disciples. When John saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. 
When Jesus turned around and saw them following him, he said, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. It was about the tenth hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his own brother Simon and say to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, it was, it's been over 30 years since I've been a pastor in the public ministry. And when I first became a pastor, everyone wore a black robe. That was the first gown you had. In fact, the black robe probably has been worn for almost centuries. That was always the color that the pastor would wear in front of the congregation as a worship leader. And then about, ooh, maybe 10, 15 years or so in my ministry, all of a sudden the white robe became popular. And more and more guys were getting away from the black robe and were starting to wear the white one. And the white one emphasizing holiness and righteousness and, and that through faith in Christ we're covered with the robe of righteousness and the garment of salvation. Now, as time has gone on during my 30-year-plus ministry, now guys are getting away from wearing any gown at all. And now it's, at first it was you wore a nice suit and tie. And now it's becoming more and more casual. As you know, I always put on the robe. And I don't do it because I'm better than anyone else and I don't do it simply because what other guys are doing if they don't wear a robe is necessarily wrong. There is no Bible passage that condemns whether you wear a robe or not. But I do have two reasons why I usually put on the robe. One is, is because of the office as pastor and the preaching of his word. I've always felt that the wearing of a robe was a sign of respect and dignity. I'm not saying that those that don't wear it um, are not serving with dignity and respect. I'm just saying for me personally, that's what I prefer. And the other thing about wearing the robe is what I've always was taught at the seminary, especially the reason for the black robe, which, by the way, I do prefer. We usually just use it during Lent, and I've been following what the other pastors have done, especially when we exchange pulpits for Lent. The black robe always emphasizes the fact that the person up in front is, is not the emphasis. That the robe is to de-emphasize the person. Even though I may be the religious leader and, and the spiritual leader, so to speak, of this congregation, it doesn't mean that the worship service is about me and the focus is about me and therefore look to me. No, the focus is always on Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ. It certainly was that way for John the Baptist. He wore an outfit of 
of camel's hair, which was rather a traditional boar type outfit with a belt, of course, around his waist, uh, known to be the look of the prophet, especially the prophet Elijah. And so John, his focus was not to tell people, hey, look at me, it's all about me, what about me? But rather his ministry, as called by God, was to prepare people for the coming of the Savior, which is exactly what he did, by de-emphasizing himself. For when Jesus was coming, he would say to them, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now we're told that this happened the next day. The day before, Jesus was, or John was actually confronted by the Pharisees who were checking out his ministry because crowds were coming out from Jerusalem to meet him and to be baptized by John. And of course, the Pharisees asked if he was the Christ, and John made it very clear that he was not. But he came to point people to the Savior. It was also the day before that John would baptize Jesus and saw the miracle that took place with that event. The very next day with the crowd, no doubt following John the Baptist, when Jesus was coming towards him, he would point, be emphasizing himself, he would point to Jesus calling him the Lamb of God, which was not to be a name to demean him or make fun of him or to put him down in any way. To call Jesus the Lamb of God was exactly hitting the nail on the head. Jesus is the Lamb of God. For the Jewish people that were there, that would bring up the memory of sacrifices and all the sacrifices that was used, and, and lambs. And it wasn't just lambs, but also bulls and pigeons and doves and goats were used. The lamb, the lamb especially was used for the Passover. When the Lord God led the people of Israel out of Egypt, what moved Pharaoh to finally let them go was that tenth plague, the Passover the angel of death killing all the firstborn of people and cattle, except all those who, who painted the blood of the lamb on their doorpost and frame. And then the angel of death flew over to call Jesus the Lamb of God. He's the one that's going to save us. He's the one where the angel of death will fly over and not come to us. He is truly the Savior of the world. But yet, this is not a name you just give to anyone. In fact, I have, I don't know of this name ever, ever being used to someone else because this name could only be used for the one who was the Savior and the Savior could only be the one who is the Son of God. Even John the Baptist admitted, I did not know him. Now, of course, he was cousin to Jesus. He was born six months before Jesus. You know, John must have visited with Jesus. We know that Mary went over to the home of Elizabeth. But he didn't know who he truly was. In fact, he speaks of the Savior as the one coming after me outranks me because he existed before me. 
one who is born after you outranks you because he comes before you, that can only make sense if that very one is the Son of God. And the final piece of the puzzle was at the baptism of Jesus, which John the Baptist performed with water in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when Jesus came out of the water, he saw the heavens open, John the Baptist. He saw the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove came and remained on Jesus. Let's also recall the words that he heard from God the Father. The voice from the cloud cried out, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. All pointing to Jesus. We're not told when, but we're told that John was informed that the one he sees the Holy Spirit come and remain on, he is the one. He's the one who will come and baptize with the Holy Spirit. He will have the authority to send the Holy Spirit. And we know these words are fulfilled at Pentecost. When Jesus ascended into heaven, he made it very clear to his disciples to stay in Jerusalem until that special outpouring of the Holy Spirit with the tongues of fire that would come to rest on each of them and the ability to speak in other known languages so that they could begin in Jerusalem and go through Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth proclaiming the good news of Christ. There was only one conclusion John could make and the Holy Spirit working in his heart confessed the only thing he could say, he is the Son of God. And therefore, he has to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The word to take away actually can be used in, in two senses. In the original language, the word to take away can also be used in the sense of taking up and caring. And if you use it in that sense, it clearly puts the emphasis on the work of Jesus as our substitute who took on the sins of the world, took our place, and paid the price that we could not pay and live, which would require the shedding of his very blood. And that's atoning sacrifice on the cross for the sins of the world. But the word can also mean to take up in the sense of removing. And what is removed? The sin of the world. Not just sins and, and the sinful things you do, but everything associated with sin. Like the guilt is removed. The fear of death is removed. The horror of knowing that as sinful human beings, we deserve God's condemnation. What's been removed is even hell itself. Because what he won for us is the forgiveness of sins. And he paid this price for the world. Not just for the Israelites, not just for believers, not just for good people or righteous people. He paid for the sins of everyone without exception. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
It was Dr. Martin Luther who actually wrote that you find sin in two places. Either you find it on the sinner or you find it on Christ. And of course the law puts sin on the sinner because the law shows us our sins. The law brings us to our knees and, and that's why we cry out, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. But the gospel, that announces that sin has been put on Jesus, our substitute who's paid the price and removed that punishment, that guilt, that hopelessness, he's removed it. And only through faith in him are we saved. My friends, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You are not my disciples. As worship leader, you do not follow me. It's not about me. It's not look to me. Listen to me. Obey me. No. We're all disciples of Christ. We look to Jesus Christ because only him, only he, I mean, is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So any minister who's going to faithfully proclaim God's word has to always de-emphasize himself and put the emphasis where it belongs, on Christ. Follow him. Learn of him. Take to heart his word and what he says. That is what truly matters. And that is certainly what happened the very next day when John was now with two of his disciples. We know one is Andrew, we're told that. The other one is not named, and the best guesses out there usually lean towards it was John, the gospel writer himself. This is the son of Zebedee, the brother of James, and, and he was one of the first four because there was Andrew and Peter and James and John that were first called to be disciples. John the Baptist said, look, the Lamb of God, but he doesn't say anymore. But obviously, those two disciples didn't need to be told. They made the connection. Look, the Lamb of God, this is the one I follow. This is the one I learned from. For they left John, and they went to Jesus. They even stayed at his house all day. No doubt hearing him preach and teach. And then we hear of Andrew after that whole day leave and go and see his brother and told him we have found the Messiah. Now we don't have great dissertations and orations from Andrew like we have Peter's sermons, especially the sermon he preached at Pentecost. <coughs> A beautiful sermon testifying of Christ. But what we do have from Andrew is simply bringing people to Christ by telling him Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In my 30 plus years of being a pastor, I have been involved in two congregations. 
and also involved in quite a bit of outreach in those two, in those thirty some years. Involved in putting up uh, bulletin boards and or putting up um, you know in the city pulling up big signs and you know inviting people to come to church and, and uh, one time we had big right on the edge of town two big posters and 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 then when it came to Lenten time we took down those posters because they were promoting Christmas and hey come to our Christmas service and then we put cross beams because in Wisconsin when it freezes you can't get the posts out of the ground and, and then we even had a rumor going around that the Ku Klux Klan must be in town because they set up three crosses on the edge of town and, and they were going to set them on fire and here I and another guy put those up. And then, and then we've done, when our synod would do advertising, you know, we've been involved in TV and commercials and, and, and we've done even radio spots. Oh, we've passed out. We've passed out postcards here at Salem. We would even we would even put our brochures in a plastic bag and 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 place them on on the door. And we've done as many as a thousand at one time. And all these activities, I can honestly say, that it cost probably tens of thousands of dollars if you add it all up. And what I find to be really fascinating is that's a lot of money to spend all that. And yet, the most productive way of doing outreach, and I'm not against doing the billboards and the signs and the posters and, and the postcards and the radio and TV spots and so forth, but I have to honestly confess that the most productive way of witnessing is how Andrew did it right here. What was needed for our reach? One person, armed with God's word, going to another person. Even in my Bible information classes over the years, the majority of the people who have attended these classes, even the majority of the people that eventually even joined the church, and not all of them did, but the that all of them that did, the majority of them came from one person armed with God's word going to another. And what is truly amazing is that's free. A congregation that grows in the gospel of Jesus Christ grows in sharing naturally the gospel of Jesus Christ with another. And one of the most beautiful places to start, how about in the family and with a brother? Keep your focus where it belongs. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Oh, God bless us to never lose sight of that divine. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.
thank you for taking the time to listen to a sermon podcast from Salem Evangelical Lutheran Church. If you have any further questions or would like to learn more about Salem Lutheran and its ministry, please check out our website at www.salemevlutheran.org. Once again, that is www.salemevlutheran.org. May God bless you today and every day.